0: With Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our online banking and mobile app are like having a branch right at your fingertips with everything you need to use and manage your accounts 24-7. Check us out at NotreDameFCU.com, insured by NCUA.
1: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. I'm Kyle Hyman, here again with our good bishop. Thanks for joining
0: us. You're welcome, Kyle. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Feeling very healthy right now. Good. Yeah. I am too, except I still haven't gotten my ears totally cleared yet, but I'm okay. hearing better than I have been for a oh, while. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. That's... A lot of stuff going sinus around. Sinus issues. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if I say, excuse me, what? You know? Okay. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, we had an episode talking about Pope Benedict Sixteenth reflecting back on his life and theology. And one of the things that you mentioned is also a question that a listener had. Diana Philpott from St. Monica's Parish asked, in light of the life of Pope Benedict Sixteenth, could you please talk about ressourcement theology? It looks to me like resourcement theology, yeah. of which he played a key part. I
0: butcher French all the time. I don't know French, so uh-huh. I guess that's how you pronounce it, ressourcement. You know, some speak of it as the Nouvelle Théologie. Now, I might be mispronouncing that. Okay. It would mean the new theology, school of thought in Catholic theology that arose in the mid-20th century. But that was really, when they called it the new theology, it was kind of a, what I would say, a way of criticizing it. It was those who were against it. Hmm. They used that term. In fact, there was a Dominican theologian by the name of Reginald garrigou Lagrange, And he had written an article back in the 1940s where he said, oh, he wouldn't call it month. He called it, it, he said, well, it's not really a return to the sources, which is what it means. Okay. But it's a new theology. He was saying it's kind of like modernism in disguise. So he was against it. And so he's the one who called it the Nouvelle Theologie. Uh-huh. I think that's very unfair. I disagree completely with de Lagrange on that. Mm. I do believe that it's the uh, Ressourcement Theologians was a great spiritual and intellectual renaissance. I would call it in theology some great theologians. And it really is earlier 20th century had a great impact. These theologians had a great impact on the documents of the Second Vatican Council. Great names that you've probably heard of people like Henri de Lubac, Jean-Daniel Luz, a lot of them were French. Uh-huh. Hans Urs von Balthasar, Yves Congar, Marie-Dominique Chenou, Louis Bouyer. Louis Bouyer is a favorite of Monsignor Michael Heinz, by the way. Okay. So if you want to have an episode on Louis Bouyer, he's yeah. the expert. Okay. He's even translated some of his works into English that have never been translated into English before. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I think you should have Monsignor Heinz on the, uh, on the show. He's a much better theologian than I am. Okay. But I would say it was considered their works were considered progressive at the same time by progressive in a positive sense this was real theological progress but very much faithful to catholic tradition it was really a revival and a renewal and especially looking at the biblical and liturgical and patristic writings for fresh insights into the mysteries of our faith Mm. again a lot of this was centered in france but also germany and belgium from 1930 to 1960 it was quite pervasive in france there were two faculties theological faculties one in paris and one in Lyon, of dominicans and jesuits and they were very much a part of this renaissance this renewal in in catholic theology and It's important to understand the theological context because this renewal happened when there was tremendous religious indifference in France. Mm -hmm. I mean, the church was losing a lot of ground and the church was losing large segments of the working class. So it was a pastoral problem as well. And these theologians weren't just academics in their ivory towers. They were concerned about the life of the church and the de-Christianization taking place in Europe. So it was really calling for new pastoral initiatives to bring about kind of a new evangelization, like, like John Paul would later call it a new evangelization. But what kind of a theology was happening at that time? Before, why, what were they reacting against? Well, there was a neo-scholasticism. If you were studying theology in those years, you would be studying out of these theological manuals which were really very objectivist, in other words, kind of cut off from the way people think in modern day and even cut off from the daily life of Mm -hmm. people. It wasn't touching them, you know, they're just, it was very much formulas and things like that. It wasn't living, you know. So by returning to the scriptures and returning to the fathers and the liturgies of the earlier centuries. and then using that to present the Christian faith in a more vibrant way, in light of contemporary thought, Mm -hmm. that was a very exciting venture. And their writings, in my opinion, were just guided by the Holy Spirit in many ways. They were really engaged in building up the church, the body of Christ today. Hmm. So the way theology was, It was cut off from spirituality. It was cut off from pastoral life. It was just very dry. Just at the time, or throughout history. No, 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 at that time. Okay. Because, you know, like when you look back, the fathers were wonderful. Look at how they reflected on the truths of the faith and scripture in light of the way people thought at that time, especially the Greek and philosophy, et cetera, and the way people thought. And same with. Thomas Aquinas, I mean, he engaged Mm -hmm. with the society at that time, the 12th century. But Thomism kind of became in scholasticism and neo-scholasticism kind of lifeless, kind of speculative, and it didn't center in, for example, the history of salvation, that you can go back into the scriptures. and and apply them today and be centered in the, how God has acted in human history, that's really an important part of resourcement theology and this whole sense of mystery, God's transcendent mystery. But having a kind of a rationalistic kind of theology, you kind of lose sight of God's transcendent mystery. Mm-hmm. So they were bringing this back that no, God is personal. God is accessible through love. You know, we should have reverence before the mystery. So they had this zeal, these theologians, for the transcendent and unfathomable mystery of God. Mm-hmm. And it. I think it's very beautiful. We could call it a school, but it wasn't like they were coordinated. In other words, they had, I would say, shared characteristics, these different theologians, but it's not like they coordinated as a group. Okay. No, no, these were, they just had kind of this, because they had different different views and ranges of interest, et cetera. But they all were operating within these common common desire. So they were opposed by those who were neo-scholastic, some of the, you know, like like I mentioned, Reginald Garigou-Lagrange and some others as being like, I guess what you'd say today is being liberal or being progressive. Mm-hmm. That's really not true in the sense that no, they were very much with the tradition, returning to the sources. So you can see their impact. And of course, I would count Joseph Ratzinger in this group. I mean, he he was a little later because he was younger, but I think if you had to, if I had to categorize him as what kind of a thinker, I'd say definitely resourceful. Okay, because look at how he brought you know his writings about scripture and his. Use of the fathers. I mean, he was an expert in St. Augustine. And so he returned to the sources. He And he was very friendly with these other theologians. I mean, they had a tremendous impact on the, the fathers of the Second Vatican Council. Because when the council began, the schemas for the documents at the beginning were still in this neo-scholastic mode, very mm. dry really not using a lot of scripture, just kind of formulas, like it was in the manuals. If that's what the council was going to produce, to be honest, the bishops rebelled against that because they were prepared by, you know, some in the Roman Curia. And the bishops kind of, probably influenced by these theologians, kind of rejected the first schemas and said, we have to start over. And and, and I, then they came up with these great documents. I would say the m- most important would be Lumen Gentium, Dogmatic Constitution on the Church, and De Verbum, which is on the Word of God, mm-hmm. and then Sacrosanctum Concilium, on the Sacred Liturgy, and other documents too. But when you read those beautiful documents of the Council, you can see the Rasmont Rasmont theology.
1: So is it? Is it different content or is it more the, the way of talking about it? Like the style?
0: Yes. I mean, for example, the church understood as mystery. I mean, they weren't speaking that way. Okay. But the church in the end is, is a sacrament of salvation, sacrament of, of the mystery of God. And it's not just a, you know, it used to be defined as a visible hierarchical society on earth and very, you know, right. but the beauty of the biblical imagery for the church wasn't there. Mm-hmm. You know, the mystical body of Christ, the the people of God on a journey toward the promised land of heaven. And so all the biblic- these biblical and patristic images then are there in the dogmatic constitution on the church. It's not just this dry list of formulas about the church with these objective definitions that really don't stir anyone. It's really taking the way... The scriptures talked about the church the way the father spoke about it and even saint thomas aquinas as well but they were also attuned to the way people think today contemporary modes mm-hmm. of thought so presenting them these timeless mysteries of our faith in a way that people today can grasp and understand so they always had that they, they wanted catholicism to be rejuvenated mm-hmm. well you don't rejuvenate it by you know just repeating yeah. formulas so they re-centered everything in Christ. I mean, now we are so used to that because now we, we've been influenced by the Ressourcement theology. I mean, right. this Christocentric focus and the Paschal mystery of Jesus. Even the theology and what you read in the Catechism about the Eucharist and the other sacraments all focused on Christ and his Paschal mystery.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's Ressourcement. That was how they approached it, the liturgical revival. So focusing on the spirit of the biblical and liturgical sources and their meaning for us today. So I think they've given us a, a great legacy. We see that legacy lived out in the pontificate and the teaching of John Paul II mm-hmm. and, in, and Pope Benedict XVI. And then you say, okay, well, how did... What about modern thought? Well, you see expressions taken from modern thought in some of their writings or in the council too. You know, more about history, about human solidarity. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a category. When we speak about human solidarity, that's very Christian. Mm-hmm. But they, we weren't using that kind of vocabulary before. Huh. The uh, use of images and symbols, etc. The Greek fathers of the church, for example, were hardly ever, like talked about in Catholic theology, Western theology. And they were recovered too during this intellectual uh, nourishment. So we were more connected with our own roots, the patristic tradition, the scriptural, biblical, and the patristic. There's so much nourishment in all of this. And really, I would say in many ways, the fathers of the church were neglected before the council. Hmm. And then how does this influence our own spiritual lives, our own prayer lives? That's also very much a part of this. Now, some dedicated Thomists were against this, but I think the Mont theologians, they kind of said, well, that wasn't, what you're passing on here isn't the real Thomas. In other words, the Thomism that's found in those theological manuals that were being used wasn't really the Thomism of St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm. So there needed to be a critical reinterpretation of Thomas. So that rigid, rationalistic, non-historical way of passing on what St. Thomas taught really isn't Thomas, the Mm -hmm. real Thomas. So that's a very interesting thing. to That could be a whole episode on on, uh, Thomistic theology um, because I like Thomistic theology, but I don't like that stale... Thomism that you found in the manuals. Now, when we say returning to the sources, we don't mean it's just the same as returning to the past. No, we are in a new historical situation, but we are passing on the faith in a way that people today can understand it. So you there are new ideas and fresh initiatives that come. That's how you have a renaissance. So it's the same tradition, but it flowers anew in new intellectual and pastoral ways. Hmm. Now, I think I mentioned when we spoke about Pope Benedict, so you have these theologians that drunk deeply at the origins of Christian life and thought, these Rassourismont theologians. At the same time, as I mentioned in the last episode, there were another group of theologians who were influential also at the council, but they had a different a different mentality they wanted to go move forward in a way that was not really rooted in the sources but involved an interpretation of the council where they wanted to go beyond what the council documents said mm. and really were proposing some radical changes that in a way would create discontinuity or rupture with the church's tradition uh-huh And they were pretty strong in the late 60s and 70s. They're still around today, but they advocate for some radical changes in both the way the church is governed and understood. They would be wanting uh, fundamental changes in church sexual morality and Mm -hmm. things like that. And some of them formed a theological journal called Concilium Council, and they would have articles, but the Russell theologians really were more in line with what we call a hermeneutic of continuity. That's what Pope Benedict called it. No, this isn't continuity with church teaching. So they founded their own journal, in, and it's in different languages, called Communio. So you have these two different schools of thought, Communio and Concilium, and that tension among theologians is still with us today. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely of the School of the Communio, as Cardinal Ratzinger was part of that, and these other great thinkers that I mentioned, de Lubac and Bambathasar and others. And I also want to mention that these theologians really pervaded French society and theology back from 1930 to 1960, especially the theology faculties at two universities one run by Dominicans and one run by Jesuits. So you'll see a lot of these were Dominicans or Jesuits and they contributed to the reforms of the second Vatican council.
1: I don't know if people can hear in your voice, the enthusiasm that like, this sounds like the most boring topic, (laughs) whatever this came up. I was like, I don't even know what this is, you know, but you just like came alive and so excited to explain this that I'm getting excited about it. Yeah. So, (laughs) Is is this still, are they still putting out journals of this? It's still an active. It is. You mentioned when they started that it wasn't coordinated, that these people weren't necessarily talking to each other, but they were producing similar content or whatever. Yeah. Is it more coordinated now? Is there a team of people that are, you mentioned a journal that's.
0: Yeah. Comunio is still uh, in existence and it's great. I mean, there was a little coordination in like for the journal, but mm-hmm. as far as they were each kind of doing their theology because they had different interests within theology, but they had these shared characteristics. So yeah, they became friends of each other and stuff like that. I don't yeah. mean like they were not connected, but they were a diverse group is what I want mm-hmm. to say. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's still, still around today. I mean, I would count Benedict the 16th theology. I would call that resource month. Okay. I'm not quite sure how often they, they really use that term now for this school of thought, but I would say they would be theologians who kind of follow the same principles. Okay. You know, the importance of returning to the sources when you're doing theology, the importance of staying within the living tradition, but also presenting it in ways that are understandable to modern man
1: somebody wants to learn more about this, or is there any books or documents that you recommend
0: for... I mean, the theologians that I've mentioned, if you ever wanted to kind of get a taste, there is a book that kind of, and I'm trying to remember the title, which has several chapters of analysis of this whole movement. I think I found it. Resource Mont,
1: a movement for renewal in 20th century Catholic theology. That is
0: the title. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And as I mentioned, there's several. It's probably in a very expensive book because it's thick.
1: Forty paperback is forty five fifty dollars, and hardcover is a hundred dollars. Yeah.
0: Well, then I think Kyle, you should ask for the hard copy for your birthday.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll buy one for each of my children.
0: I <laughs> have some good reading material. <laughs> but it has a lot of great articles and. On some of these different mon theologians, also some of the, like, the beginnings of the movement, some of the history of it and the context, but also even goes to the movement itself and its uh, relationship to the Second Vatican Council and then after the council. It's interesting, these great theologians were quite critical of s- some of the theology that started coming out just in the years right after the council, which was really kind of a rupture with tradition and really wasn't faithful to the, to the actual content of the documents of Vatican II. They kind of wanted to go further in not so much where, where they really were disparaging the church's tradition in many ways and wanting to accommodate so much to the modern world that they were really losing the, the true Catholic tradition. So, even though these Small theologians were considered progressive, I think we would say they were progressive in a good sense. Okay. Okay. But they always had great fidelity to the tradition. They just wanted to recover the church's tradition. And they wanted us to see the scriptures and the fathers and, and the liturgies, everything as sources of life for us in today's world. So they were not of the school that some would say. Oh, the church needs to not just update itself, but you know, reject aspects of of our faith. Yeah. No, the, the resource month were very critical of those who really were trying to basically create a new church. Uh huh.
1: All right. Well, thank you for that. And again, <laughs> it's fun to see you get so excited about theology and. I don't know that I've ever heard about this and it seems like it was a pretty
0: big deal. (laughs) It was, but you know, it's funny you say that because when I was giving the conference on the Eucharist, a lot of people said, Bishop, you really got excited about it. Yeah. And I can't help myself. Yeah. (laughs) It's good. All right. But you know, have you ever had Monsignor Heinz on as a guest? uh, Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. I bet he would be great. Have him talk about Louis Bouyer. Okay. One of the resourceful thinkers. It It would be, I'd love to listen to him. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: Well, thank you so much, Bishop. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go?
0: Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's engineered by Josh Skipper at the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, produced by Miriam Schmitz, and edited by Tony Marks for Spoke Street Media. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.